evening. Hello there. It is Henry Harris. Welcome to another edition of the Spiritual Foundations of Mental Health. Today's topic, how does change work? And we begin with our our typical kind of overview of what it is that we're discussing. But before I do that, I want to mention two things. First of all, I'm uh, excited to share that I have just begun a new weekly podcast called Partners in Creation, which actually will be uh, somewhat relevant to today's topic, how change, how does change work? And I also want to invite, I do get feedback and questions and comments, and I welcome them. And I want to make sure that anyone listening knows that you can reach me at henry at jewishwellbeing.org. That's again, henry at jewishwellbeing.org. Okay, so let's begin. When we speak of the spiritual foundations of mental health, we are speaking of the basic idea that you and I and everyone else in this world is uncondition, unconditionally well. We have unconditional well-being. That means to say there is no condition or set of circumstances either in our past or in our present or uh, up, uh, in our perceived upcoming future that can somehow render us unwell, broken, blemished, incapable. Not to say it's certainly the case that we can feel that way. And it's an important part of this whole conversation to acknowledge how normal those feelings are, but to be able to make room for those feelings inside of a wisdom, inside of a, of a, of a logic, of an understanding that says, well, even though we feel those feelings, those feelings themselves exist inside of a of a flow. And the flow is all coming from a single simple source. Sometimes people will say to me, I, I, I don't know how to access the flow regularly. I have the flow, but then I lose it. And to me, that's a misunderstanding of what it is that we're experiencing or how our experience works. There's certain, that premise basically works as follows. There's good flow and I want that flow. And then there's bad flow and I don't want that flow. And the question is, how do I get the good flow? And I would say that a, a more basic and more important question is, uh, or a more important and more basic goal is, how do I understand what's true about the flow? That's my first order of business. What's true about the flow of feelings and moods and experience that I'm experiencing psychologically? What's true about that? That's the most important thing to know, because really the truth is we're never, we're never We've never disconnected from the flow. How do I how do I get the flow back? We're, we're we're always experiencing the flow. There's no alternative, and inside that flow, there's the possibility of warm and trusting and peaceful, grateful feelings. There's the possibility of fearful, anxious, jealous, hurt, all kinds of feelings, and. They are part of a safe and healthy world, and they include difficult feelings. They include challenges. I, I'm not suggesting uh, that it's pain-free. There is pain. But when we have an understanding about the nature of what's, what's true about that pain, what's true about those feelings, then we can settle into the lives that we're living with a greater measure of acceptance, with a greater measure of of equilibrium. And then we can face the pain and disappointment and lack and feelings of difficulty from a perspective of, okay, let's let's learn. Let's learn from these experiences. Let's 
grow from these experiences. Let's acknowledge where there's a possibility of making some kind of a choice or intervention. Let's acknowledge where there's a possibility of simply tolerating the circumstances or the feelings that I am not capable of changing. We are capable and well well suited to a life that includes all kinds of feelings, especially when we can acknowledge that it's okay to be in our lives. It's okay to be with those feelings. So our well-being and our wisdom, our connection to the flow is unconditional. It's just that, that time, there are times where that flow is not to our liking. And that's okay. That's really okay. We're looking to understand the truth about our psychological experience, the truth about the feelings and the moods that are flowing through us and our capacity to notice them, to watch them, to be aware of them, even as um, we are feeling them and feeling the effects of them very profoundly. This is a, a, a wondrous gift. And this, this gives us the ability to simply reside in our lives you know, to reside in our lives with the, the difficulties and discomforts. We're not, we're not needing to flee. We don't need to run away. We don't need to be in fight mode or flight mode. We can experience the opportunity and the challenge without it, without it, without it seeming to be a, a reason for panic or for, for running. So that's the that's the kind of the the basics of the overview. Today's topic I said I, I raised is how does change work? And I, I raised this question almost more for the sake of raising of, of introducing the value of the question than in answering it. I think it's it's a precious thing for each and every one of us to be curious and interested in that question of how does change work? It's so precious. It, 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 and it begins in a sense with the realization that we've all changed. We've all experienced a, a, a wondrous places in our lives where we moved from a point A to a point B. There's not a single person in this world that did not experience that. Now, it could be that we're, we're somewhat hyper-focused in the present moment on a place where I'm wanting to move from point A to point B, and I'm not. And that's pretty common, pretty common to be fixated on, hey, I'm not changing in this area and I'm really bothered by it. And uh, that's reasonable and it's important to want to grow and to, to address places where we find ourselves stuck. On the other hand, it's possible that our mindset, our outlook is missing something in a way that it's not fully visible to us. And I think it's important to realize the value of this question. How does change work? And in particular, do I see places in my life where I've experienced real change? So valuable, it's so precious. And we're, we're heading shortly into a time of year on the Jewish calendar where we're going to celebrate the exodus. We're going to celebrate the unbelievably, mind-bogglingly miraculous departure of the Jewish people from Egypt, which is the, which is the, the, the archetypal experience of our beginnings. That's kind of where it all began. That's where we, 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 the process of, of the Jewish people becoming the Jewish people began. It, it's, it's really hard to overstate the, the importance of that event 
both in terms of its defining quality of the people called the Jewish people, but also its defining quality as a roadmap for how every person, how every single Jew, how every single human being can gain insight into how one can go from stuck to unstuck. It's so precious and it's so valuable to be open and curious about that. Look in our own, look in your life, look in, look in your own life and look for where and how you have changed. And this could be something very, this could be, this doesn't have to be that you experience some extraordinary psychological transformation or ending a habit or an addiction or a compulsion. It, it, it could simply be you, you start, I've mentioned this before, you, um, you learn to drive. You sat in the car on the first number of occasions that you were learning to drive and you said to yourself, this is not possible. It was just way too many pieces of information to assimilate. And that's before I get out of the parking lot, you know, before I get out of the driveway, I'm, I'm, I've got the, the, the gear and the brake and the accelerator and the mirrors and, the, and all of that's without moving traffic, you know? And then you reach a point where it's just not something you think about. It takes attentiveness. It takes um, some level of, of effort, but it's a, it's a, it's a relative, it's, it's becomes almost a non-issue. That's a profound change. That, that, that is a profound change that's worthy of asking oneself, like, well, how, how does that work? What are some other examples of where we might experience change, where, where, where we uh, undertook, a, where we undertook uh, some kind of a job that we didn't know how to do it very well, and then we got trained, and then over time it became second nature, or uh, all kinds of things, even something as basic as, uh, as physical maturation. As learning a, a physical skill, a child goes from not being able to speak to being able to speak. You, at one point in time, did not possess the requisite cognitive and physical abilities to formulate words, and then you did. At some point, you did. I, um, I, I that, that's a that's a mind-boggling change, and if we look at each one of those changes that are the examples I just gave. I think one, one thing that comes through to me is, well, we could ask ourselves, like typically people could ask or answer the question, how did those changes occur? You could, you could reduce it to some kind of a mechanical, like, well, hello, of course people change. If you do something often enough, you learn how to do it. Like what's the big deal? I would suggest that there's something, um, more fantastic, more wondrous that unfolds. I'm not saying that fantastic and wondrous are not everyday things. On the contrary, fantastic and wondrous are everyday things, but don't overlook the fantastic and wondrousness of it. When you were sitting in your driver's seat or at the beginning of a job and you didn't know how to do it and you felt overwhelmed, so yeah, okay, it's a very human phenomenon that someone does something once and then 10 times and then 50 times. And then at a certain point, he just feels more at ease in it. That That's normal. It's still the case, though, that it, it doesn't change the fact that when you were sitting in the driver's seat or is stepping into the job for the first time, the emotional reality, at least this is the way it was for me when I first sat down in the driver's seat, the, the emotional reality was so compelling. It was just like, this is literally impossible. 
there's just no way I'm going to be able to assimilate this. The, 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 the way in which my perception can go from um, this is impossible to this is actually a normal everyday occurrence. Perhaps that's what I'm focusing on is the way in which our psychological perception can be this is impossible and then it changes. It's, it is the case that it's normal to go to, 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 through repetition to become better at something. But I got news for you. There's other places in our lives where, where we do, where we repeat something and we repeat it and repeat it and we find ourselves no longer capable or we, we find ourselves incapable of, of executing. A person trying to change their eating habits or a person trying to change their reaction to certain dynamics in a relationship. They try and they try and then they see that they can't and and they become overwhelmed. And at a certain point, they become discouraged. Uh, the reason I'm raising this, the reason I'm raising the question of how does change work and the value of looking at that question, of sitting with that question, of considering and being curious about it is because it will introduce to us the reality that there's a component to how we change that is not of our doing. It's really essential to understand that in any change process, there's a whole dimension that is not that 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 has nothing to do with our conscious, mindful, clever manipulation or exertion. That's always the case. It's always the case that profound change is is impossible. It happens regularly. Profound change is a normal and and everyday occurrence, and yet at the same time, it's wondrous and miraculous because there's a whole quality to that profound change that cannot be attributed to our exertion, our cleverness, our management. It's so valuable. It's so essential to acknowledge that, to have room in your inner world for that truth. Look for that. If you don't sense that, if you don't feel that, but you're open to it, then, then sit with it. Ask yourself, look for where in your life you've changed. Where in your life have you gone from point A to point B in whatever phenomenon you might find? Learning a new skill, what, learning a new job. You will see that there was some kind of an unfolding that all of a sudden you had access to. And you can't pinpoint where and how you, you it's true, you might have, you might be able to pinpoint that you knew, okay, if I keep doing this, if I keep exposing myself to this I will change. It could be that you understood that, and then you're 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 fortunate. You are you have a big blessing. You have a big advantage that you you have glimpsed this idea that even if I don't know how I'm going to change, I trust that the, that there's something within me that will change. That I, that I will understand new things. That's a huge. That's already an expression of this wisdom. It's already an expression of the glimpse of this deeper understanding. That change, by definition, occurs to a meaningful extent due to an in, due to input that's not yours. Now, this also raises the the topic I mentioned at the beginning that I I've started a new podcast called Partners in Creation. It's built on the idea that uh, uh, an important metaphor of what a human being's role is in this is in this world is it. A, is as a zorea. Zorea is a planter, someone who plants. A planter, someone who plants, by definition, is engaged in something 
called belief, trust. In Hebrew, we would describe it as a muna, an affirmation that there is a life force beyond him that can and will take his planting and do wondrous things with it. Now, that's essential. If you're going to plant a seed and you don't trust or believe that there is a life force built into the world that's going to receive your seed and do things with it, then why would you ever plant? Like, it would be ridiculous to plant, but yet plant. That's what planters do. And that's what we are human beings. That's human beings. We are meant to be planters. And that, in that, in that sense, we are partners in the creation. Our job is to be the zoreya, to be the planter. And then there's the job of the creator of the universe, who is the chei ha'ilamim. He's the life force of the world. I plant, and he does the life force of the world job. That's his job. I don't do that job. I just, I plant. But it's essential that I plant. And it's essential that as I plant, I acknowledge and know that there is a whole component to the process of growth that's not in my hands. And it really changes my openness and enthusiasm to plant. Can you imagine what it would be like if I, if I really thought that the process of planting was on me? Like the whole process, the plant, not just the planting, but the growth itself. Imagine, I don't know a lot about botany, but I know that there is a process whereby a seed decays in the ground, and then that decay process is uh, followed by the sprouting of roots. Somehow things inside the seed start extending, breaking the shell of the seed and extending down into the ground, and then somehow drawing things from the ground itself. And it's just a crazy process that if I were to actually be concerned with like, how am I going to get that seed once it's in the ground to decay? And how am I, how am I going to get it to extend roots? And how, how am I going to figure out how to convert the sunlight and the water and the earth nutrients? How am I going to do that? Like, it's so ridiculous. I would never, ever, 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 ever plant. I would never plant because I know that I cannot, I can't do any of those things. And yet this is, this is, no, this is a 100% a reasonable mistaken understanding that we human beings walk around with, that we look out at our lives and we sense that there's something needed. We sense, wow, uh, you know, fruits could be really beneficial over here. Beautiful vegetables could be, beautiful, could be helpful over here. I need... ABC things in my life. And we think to ourselves, like, I don't know how to, I, I kind of have an idea. I've seen other people accomplish ABC, but I've tried to do ABC and I, I wasn't successful. I don't know how to get the seed to sprout roots and then start growing upward and be able to receive its influ the influences of the environment in a way that's constructive. I don't know how to do those things. At that moment, to the degree that I don't know, and I'm not curious, if I'm not curious in, about how change works, if I'm not curious and open to the idea that there's a whole component to change that's not me, then I'm going to get overly concerned with, well, how, how in the world am I going to get from point A to point B? It's an impossible journey. It's, it's impossible. It can't happen. And then, lo and behold, I, I stop planting, you know? how demoralizing that is. And yet there's not a question in my mind that every human being encounters that. I know I do. I know I do. I, I look out at some 
possible goal or value to be had in life. I try it, it doesn't go. And then I think to myself, well, I don't know how to do it. He knows how to do it. She knows how to do it. Obviously, it's within people's capacities to do, but I don't. And if I don't go for any further than that, then I'll just mistakenly associate the process of getting from point A to point B as something to, uh, that depends on my cleverness and my personal power and my willfulness and my resourcefulness and all of those things. And I'll just say, I guess I don't have it. And I'll stop planting. I'll stop even considering the possibility of what plants are available to me. But that that's just not, that's just, that's, no, we can't, we can't do that. We are planters. We are planters in a world that is waiting, anxious, designed to receive our plant seeds and capable of carrying those seeds to a whole new place. I'm not advocating for a minimal effort in this world or for a lackadaisical effort. I'm totally enthusiastic. I'm, I'm a believer in enthusiastic commitments, but it's hard to have an enthusiastic commitment when you feel that you're destined to fail. I would say it's impossible. But when you know you're a planter, when you understand something deep about how change works, by definition, change involves a component, an introduction of value, of help that cannot come from you. You're in a different world. You're living in a different life. You are left with a very simple, meaningful challenge of planting. And that's it. Where, how, and when the plant is going to sprout when it's going to send forth roots and sprout upward and produce fruits, you don't know. But the value of the planting is is unconditional. And to the degree that we get a glimpse of that, to the degree that we get a glimpse of how change really works, the necessity of change, including a, a component that's not me, we start to live in a different world. We really start to enter into an experience of being partners in creation. We have a liber- we are liberated to give our efforts, to give our best without the crushing disappointment of my best didn't produce what I wanted it to. Right, that's true. Your best didn't produce what it wanted to do, but your best produced a good planting. And that's, that's a meaningful thing, being a planter. We are here in this world to be planters, to be partners in creation by introducing valuable seeds into the soil that is ready, willing, and anxious to receive and grow those seeds.